In 1953, 85-year-old Marie Dinarnot lay on her deathbed. She'd spent her entire life in a tiny hilltop village in the south of France, Rennes-le-Chateau. Penniless and never married, Marie had no one to care for her except the family that had bought her home years before, the Corbus. In return, she promised them a deathbed confession. For much of her life, Marie was the housekeeper of the town's former priest, Berenger Saunier. Decades earlier, Saunier struck it rich overnight, but never disclosed the source of his sudden wealth, except to his ever-present confidant, Marie. Marie had hinted to the Corbus that when the time was right, she'd share the secret of Saunier's fortune, making them rich beyond their wildest dreams. They recalled her saying, quote, You're walking on gold. You could feed the village for a hundred years, and there would still be some left over. Sadly, Marie suffered a stroke that left her unable to speak or write. She died on January 29, 1953, taking Saunier's secret to her grave. Ever since, Hundreds of thousands of travelers have been drawn to Rennes-le-Chateau in search of ancient mysteries and one very elusive treasure. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on Rennes-le-Chateau. This tiny French village has become a major tourist attraction in the past century, drawing over 100,000 visitors each year. Today, we'll cover the history of the region and the enigmatic Berenger Saunier, the former priest of Rennes-le-Chateau, who became wealthy, seemingly, overnight. We'll also follow those who went searching for treasure in the area and the secrets Saunier may have left behind. Next time, we'll explore a few conspiracy theories about the source of Saunier's wealth, from ancient artifacts to corruption to secret knowledge regarding the truth of Jesus Christ. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. 
That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. This year has gone by so quickly. So much has happened. I mean, I have already completely reconstructed the plumbing in my house. Luckily, not myself. I had help. And you know, with everything going on in life, sometimes it's important to slow down, take a minute to reflect and make adjustments for the rest of the year ahead. And if you need a little help with that, therapy is an excellent option. I have loved therapy so much, in part because of the coping mechanisms it's given me. It's not just a place to share my feelings about my life or what's going on. I've learned ways to address my own mental habits so that I can handle what I'm doing even better. I've learned that self-care is not selfish, and it's really made a big difference in my life. If you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, and all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get started. Plus, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So take a moment for yourself. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash conspiracy. All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm gonna leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. Ren Le Chateau sits high on a hilltop, overlooking the former Languedoc region in the south of France. It's isolated and therefore sparsely populated. Throughout the ages, it's been home to as few as 50 people at a time, maybe a few hundred at its peak. This area of France was ruled by the Romans from the 2nd century BCE until the 5th century CE. From there, it was conquered by an early Germanic tribe known as the Visigoths. It was during this time that the small village of Rennes-le-Chateau is thought to have been founded. And for the first thousand years, it didn't have much historical significance. But there were sites nearby that certainly added to its mystique. A few miles away from Rennes-le-Chateau sits a castle, rumored to be once owned by the Knights Templar, just one of the many Templar outposts that covered Western Europe at the time. During the Crusades, followers of the Catholic Church created the Knights Templar to protect Christian travelers on the road to Jerusalem. Over the years, theorists and historians have speculated that the Templars may have traveled through or even lived in Rennes-le-Chateau, though there is little physical evidence to confirm this. While the Templars started with just nine members, they later grew in size and wealth, becoming a feared financial and military force. Much like an international bank, they stored and protected valuables for the world's wealthiest families. Some say they carried ancient treasures out of the Holy Land and preserved them throughout Europe. But in 1307 CE, King Philip IV of France feared the Templars had become too powerful. As a result, he ordered every knight in the country to be arrested. 
There's no evidence that the Order of the Templars survived beyond this point, but many believe their treasures and their secrets did. Which brings us to Rennes-le-Chateau in 1732 CE. At this time, an 18-year-old orphan named Marie de Negre d'Ables came to the village to marry a man named Francois d'Autepoulren. The Autepouls, one of the oldest noble families in France, could trace their lineage back to the Templars and the Crusades. Francois held the high nobility title of Marquis of Blanchefort, making his new wife Marie Blanchefort. The two had a prosperous marriage for the next 20 years. Throughout their time together, Francois revealed to his wife some ancient familial secrets. When Marie Blanchefort lay on her deathbed in 1781, she was attended to by the local priest in Rennes-le-Chateau. According to legend, Marie shared something known as the Hautepool secret to the clergyman. Until that point, it had been kept in the family for centuries, and to this day, that secret has never fully been revealed to the public. When Marie Blanchefort died, she was most likely buried in the local church's graveyard. Knowing the Hautepool's secret, though, the priest allegedly fled to Spain. But many believe he left some clues behind in Rennes-le-Chateau. Another hundred years would pass in the isolated town before the hunt was revived. In 1885, the diocese sent a new priest to the village, a man named Berenger Saunier, who would resurrect those secrets yet again. Saunier grew up in Languedoc, near Rennes-le-Chateau. He was a stubborn young man and vocally political, much to the chagrin of his superiors. When he was assigned to Rennes-le-Chateau at 33 years old, it appeared that he was a bit disappointed. He moaned in his diary, the middle cross exists, but there are no aisles. In other words, he felt a bit trapped. On the grounds of the church, there wasn't even a home for Saunier, which was unusual for any parish at this time. So he stayed with a local family called the Dinarnos. This was where Saunier met the 18-year-old Marie. For years, Saunier scraped by on a meager salary of a few francs a month. But thankfully, many of the parishioners offered him food and donations to get by. For uncertain reasons, Saunier later decided to move into a dilapidated shack on the church grounds. Maybe the priest wanted his own space, or perhaps he wanted to oversee the church's upcoming repairs. The parish was in desperate need of a renovation. The foundation was cracking, the roof leaked, and the paint was chipped. Unfortunately, alms from churchgoers wouldn't be enough to make the repairs the church sorely needed. So, Saunier asked the mayor for a loan. His request was granted, and in 1887, repairs on the parish, known as the Church of St. Mary Magdalene, began. Coincidentally, this was also when Saunier's journey began. One afternoon, as workmen removed the old altar, Saunier noticed something in a hollow cavity inside. At first, he didn't think much of it. It was traditional to leave a document commemorating the consecration of the church inside the altar. 
But when Saunier reached inside, he didn't find a certificate. He found a secret message. The letter directed him to turn over one of the flagstones on the church floor. When Saunier located this stone, he found it was loose. Underneath the brick was a carved image of two riders on one horse. Its placement was intentional. If the engraving had been exposed to the air, it would have disintegrated over the years. But upside down, it could stay preserved for centuries. But that's just one version of the story. Another suggests that Saunier found more than just a message inside that altar. He found jewels, a bracelet, and a necklace from the Visigoth era. Accompanying them were two parchments with Bible verses penned in Latin. Saunier felt this was a strange collection. He couldn't understand why someone would hide Bible verses inside the walls of a church. There had to be more explanation to their significance. Although, we do know of yet another version of the story of Saunier's discovery in the church. This one actually has a direct source named Antoine Captier. Captier's grandfather was the church bell ringer during Saunier's residency in the late 1800s. According to him, the senior Captier was the one who spotted something amongst the rubble. Captier said the item was actually a glass vial, and it contained just a scrap of parchment, which his grandfather handed over to Saunier right away. Obviously, with differing accounts, we can't say for certain what was found that day in 1891, but a hidden flagstone with a secret image, or a message in a vial, or Visigoth jewels and Latin Bible verses are all possibilities. Undoubtedly, a clue from the church only increased Saunier's interest. From that point on, his life took a very different turn. Some believe he'd found the keys to unlocking a mystery over a century old. Coming up, Saunier goes to Paris and returns a wealthy man. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast, and I'm hosting the new limited series, Hollywood Scandals. We all know that Tinseltown is the land of glitz and glamour, but look closer past the allure of bright lights and red carpets. There, you'll find a more disturbing tale, one filled with tragedies and transgressions so damaging they've turned hopes and dreams into high-profile nightmares. Every Monday on this Spotify original, discover the real-life dramas of some of entertainment's biggest names. From the mysterious drowning of Natalie Wood and the murder trials of comedian Fatty Arbuckle to the star clients of Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss. Each episode of Hollywood Scandals has been curated from shows across the ParCast network, covering over a century's worth of controversies, from the silent era into the digital age. Fame and fortune may be fleeting, but scandals, they stand the test of time. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Hollywood Scandals. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. 
Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now, back to the story. After finding secret relics inside the Church of St. Mary Magdalene in 1891, Berenger Saunier became obsessed with their significance. He alerted his confidant and superior, his bishop, Monsignor Biar, who urged the priest to travel to Paris. There, Saunier met with a manuscript expert to gain a better understanding of the parchments. We aren't exactly sure what was discussed at this meeting, but afterwards Saunier rushed to the Louvre Museum and purchased the reproductions of three paintings. The most significant was a 1638 portrait by Nicholas Poussin entitled The Arcadian Shepherds. The painting depicts four people gathered around a rural tomb. On the grave is a plaque that says, Et in Arcadia Ego, meaning, even in Arcadia, there am I. Saunier was certain there was a connection between the parchment, the painting, and the town of Rennes-le-Chateau. Although what that link was remained uncertain for decades. But this purchase wasn't the priest's only mysterious move. When he returned to Rennes-le-Chateau, Saunier made a note of another meeting in his diary. It was between himself, the secretary to Monsignor Biard, and Antoine Gelis, a priest from a nearby town. The only thing he wrote in that journal, alongside the date and names, was the word secret. Around the same time, Saunier employed his close friend and former roommate, Marie de Narnot as his housekeeper. Aside from Monsignor Biard, Marie was Saunier's sole confidant. The two were constantly seen in each other's company, to the point where other townspeople called her the priest's Madonna. It's very possible that the two had a romantic relationship. During this time, it wasn't unheard of for priests to marry in secret, but if that information went public, Saunier could have lost his priesthood. And given that Marie never seemed to have any romantic relationships of her own, well, you can draw your own conclusions. Whatever their relationship was, it became clear to the public that Marie had benefited from Saunier. Because after his return from Paris, he began to open his pocketbook a lot. Saunier went from accepting the charity of his parishioners to living in luxury. He purchased fashionable clothes from Paris, entertained guests at lavish parties, and drank rum from Jamaica. No one had the slightest idea of where his overnight fortune had come from. 
and it didn't stop there. Saunier bought the properties surrounding the church and constructed new buildings, including a medieval-style tower he named Tour Magdala, which he used as his personal library. He also built a glass greenhouse and was said to keep exotic pets. And of course, he constructed a new manor called Villa Betania, which was a home that would end up being solely for Marie de Narnon. In fact, the oddest part of the entire project was that everything he bought and built was put in Marie's name. It's possible that Saunier was trying to hide his extra income and the source of where it came from. Or he may have simply assumed that he would die before Marie. If he titled the properties in her name, then she wouldn't be held accountable to pay an inheritance tax later on. Either way, Saunier's expenditures seemed checkered. Whenever someone asked where the money came from, Saunier alluded to anonymous wealthy benefactors. As a priest, he claimed he was bound by the confidentiality of the confessional. Many also found Saunier's decorative choices a bit suspicious. Even to this day, just inside the church entrance stands a statue of the demon, Asmodeus, the guardian of treasure. Perhaps this was a reference to Saunier's misbegotten wealth. Saunier also had a sign placed above the church entrance that reads, Terribles es locus iste, Latin for, this is a place of awe, or this place is terrible. It was ominous illusions like these that have led some conspiracy theorists to believe that Saunier knew a dangerous secret about the Catholic Church. But it wasn't just his lavish changes to the property that kept the locals talking. Far more interesting was what Saunier and Marie were seen doing at night, namely digging in the church's graveyard. During one of these excavations, Saunier supposedly damaged the headstone of Marie Blanchefort, the woman who'd shared the Oatpool's secret from the Crusades. Now, this could have been an accident. Or they could have been searching around Blanchefort's headstone for more clues in the great mystery Saunier wanted to solve. Suspiciously, Marie Blanchefort's small headstone, while not marking her actual tomb, did have a connection to one of the paintings he purchased. Marie Blanchefort's headstone reportedly read, Et in Arcadia Ego, the same inscription from the plaque on the tomb in Poussin's 1638 work of art. Whether or not Saunier and Marie uncovered anything remains a mystery, but they did upset more than a few people in Rennes-le-Chateau. Their digging made the townspeople so angry that they received letters begging them to stop. Many were afraid their ancestors' remains were being disturbed in the process. And yet Saunier ignored their requests, which seemed to be to his benefit, because in 1891, Saunier wrote another clue in his diary. Tomb found. The church renovations were finally completed in 1897, 10 years after they began. And while the people of Rennes-le-Chateau celebrated the remodel, the mood one town over was decidedly more somber. 
Local villagers there were reeling from a shocking murder. On November 1st, 1897, the priest of a nearby town was found dead. This was the same priest, Antoine Gelis, that Saunier had met with after his return from Paris. Gelis had been killed the night before in his own home. The locked gate that should have kept him safe was wide open. Some wondered if Gelis knew his assailant, maybe even let him in. The scene was gruesome. The priest had been hit in the head 14 times by fire tongs and an axe. It didn't appear to be the work of an experienced killer. None of Jalise's money or valuables were taken. Although there was an investigation into his death, no arrests were ever made. Jalise's murder went unsolved. Some say that Antoine Gelis died because of his involvement in the mysterious happenings at Rennes-le-Chateau. We do know that he met with Saunier on more than one occasion. And Saunier had a reputation for giving rather unique gifts to other priests, including a goblet and a set of ancient coins. There's speculation that Saunier may have shared the secret of his overnight fortune with Gelis at one of these meetings. It's possible that Gelis's assailant was looking for information on the source of Saunier's wealth, or perhaps Gelis could no longer be trusted to keep quiet. Maybe either Saunier or the Catholic Church decided to get rid of him to keep Saunier's discovery a secret. We can't say for sure. Neither Saunier nor the Church were ever considered suspects in Gelis's murder. Although things did continue to grow more ominous from there. Four years later, in 1901, Saunier's confidant, Monseigneur Biard, also passed away. While he died of natural causes, many sense that Biard was more than a friend to Saunier, that he may have been the co-conspirator behind his secret fortune. Biard's replacement wasn't willing to overlook the ostentatious priest. In 1909, the new bishop ordered that Saunier be transferred to another parish where he'd be stripped of his luxuries. But Saunier refused to leave Rennes-le-Chateau. Instead, he resigned from his post and became a free priest, meaning he could no longer receive a salary from the Catholic Church. But the new bishop suspected that Saunier stayed afloat through other means, like gaining an income through something known as mass trafficking. The term mass, in this case, refers to the actual church ceremony. Now, mass trafficking, or taking payment for saying extra prayers in someone's honor, wasn't necessarily uncommon. But priests weren't to take payments for any masses they didn't perform. And to keep up with his lifestyle, Saunier had to be taking a lot of payments. In 1910, Saunier was ordered to appear in ecclesiastical court. When he didn't show, he was given a one-month suspension and told to pay back the money he'd taken from illegal mass trafficking. Saunier argued that his money came from at-will donations, but problematically, he didn't have the paperwork to prove it. As a result, Saunier was found guilty of negligence and sentenced to 10 days of spiritual retreat. This punishment, though, was barely a slap on the wrist. 
Still, the bishop didn't give up. He brought Saunier to trial once again. This time, the church directly accused him of misusing the money he'd acquired. They argued that whatever donations Saunier accepted weren't meant for him personally. That money belonged to the church. While he tried to brush off these allegations of corruption, the court didn't buy it. Saunier was found guilty of misuse of funds. His priesthood was suspended until he could pay back the money he'd spent. Perhaps knowing that he'd never be able to repay that sum, Saunier is rumored to have drunk heavily. He reportedly suffered from crippling gout and on January 22, 1917, died at the age of 64. Which left all of his land and possessions to his housekeeper, Marie Dunarnot. She lived in comfort for years until World War II. But afterwards, France issued new currency and made changes to its tax system. Rather than explain the source of her wealth, Marie allegedly burned all of the cash in her backyard. Some of these details may be nothing more than local legend. Documents show that Marie lived on borrowed money until 1946, when she sold her estate to a man named Noel Corbu. As a courtesy, after buying Villa Batania from Marie, Corbu and his family took care of her. And in hearing Marie talk about the past, they too bought into her stories of the riches buried beneath their feet. In 1955, two years after Marie died and took Saunier's secrets to her grave, Corbu reopened the villa as a restaurant and later a hotel. But Corbu wasn't just an entrepreneur, he was a novelist with a knack for story. He told anyone who'd listen that the source of Saunier's wealth was Blanche of Castile, the wife of Louis VIII. Corbu claimed that Saunier had found some of Blanche's money hidden away near the village. Where he got this idea, no one really knows. As far as history can tell, there is no lost treasure of Blanche of Castile. And no one has found evidence linking her to the town of Rennes-le-Chateau. But with this story, Corbu introduced two very important ideas into the myth of the village. First, it gave Saunier's mysterious wealth an air of ancient secrecy. People could only imagine what royalty or powerful figures from the past it might be linked to. Second, Corbu's version implied that more riches were out there just waiting to be found. It's pretty clear that his motive was to lure travelers to his hotel. But Corbu's scheme may have worked a little too well. By the early 1960s, Rennes-le-Chateau was inundated with treasure seekers drilling holes into the mountainside. The town passed ordinances and put up signs forbidding excavation, but there was only so much they could do to stop the influx of destructive tourism. When Corbu died in a car accident in 1968, the interest in the mystery was very close to dying along with him, except for a curious author named Gerard Desed. This historian finally uncovered what was written on Saunier's parchments. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, 
The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Coming up, Renla Chateau goes from local legend to international mystery. Now, back to the story. After the death of Berenger Saunier, Hotelier Noël Corbeau, who had bought his property, spread the story of the priest's mysterious riches. But when author Gerard de Sade caught wind of the mystery, he took it a step further. In 1967, de Sade and a man named Pierre Plantard published a book called The Gold of Rennes, which was later retitled The Accursed Treasure of Rennes-le-Chateau. This text offered many sought-after answers to some of Rennes-le-Chateau's most pressing questions. One of their major claims was that the Merovingian dynasty, a royal French bloodline who lived in the years following the Roman Empire, hadn't died out. They claimed descendants of the family were alive and well, and they may have been tied to Saunier's secret. The authors suggested that the Merovingian King Dagobert II had an infant son before he was killed in 679 CE. That child was secretly taken to the town of Rennes-le-Chateau, where he was hidden for his safety. The engraving on the flagstone that Saunier found, of a horse with two riders, was actually a knight bringing the baby to the church of St. Mary Magdalene. The book supposedly also included copies of the actual parchments Saunier found, containing Latin Bible verses. Desaed claimed that he discovered these parchments in the National Library in Paris, alongside a trove of documents called the Dossier Secrets, which helped him to come to these conclusions. They also included a list of every grand master of a secret society called the Priory of Sion. The Priory of Sion was said to be a fraternity created by the Knights Templar. Their job was to hold and protect all of the Catholic Church's secrets. Allegedly, it had operated in the shadows since the year 1099 CE. The list of former Grand Masters included European luminaries like Sir Isaac Newton and novelist Victor Hugo. Desaed suggested that the Priory group was behind Saunier's treasure and the Merovingian secret. In fact, the Priory of Sion may have even paid Baron J. Saunier for his silence. According to Desaed and Plantar, the Priory was still around. 
Pierre Plantard himself claimed to be the group's current grandmaster, as well as a descendant of this Merovingian line. A year after their book's publication, it found its way into the hands of a man named Henry Lincoln. From there, Sonier's legend only grew. Lincoln wasn't a historian. He was a writer for a science fiction television series called Doctor Who. And while he was intrigued by the answers Desed and Plantar offered, he wanted to do more exploring for himself. Eventually, he found himself trying to explain the very same questions that haunted Berenger Saunier. When Lincoln read the biblical parchment that Saunier had supposedly discovered, he noticed that some letters were positioned higher than others. Though the text was in Latin, Lincoln found that if he took all the raised letters together, they actually spelled out a message in French, one that translated to, quote, this treasure belongs to King Dagobert II and to Sion. Lincoln felt there had to be more to the message, so he continued searching through the code. Oddly enough, he was right. Lincoln found another phrase that roughly translates to, Shepherdess, no temptation that Poussin and Ten Years hold the key, Pa 681 by the cross, and this horse of God, I complete this guardian demon at midday blue apples. Yes, we know this sounds like a bunch of gibberish, but Lincoln noticed that some details did actually make sense. The numbers 681 could have referred to a year or the elevation of a nearby mountain. As for crosses, there were certainly plenty of those around Rennes-le-Chateau. The words shepherdess, no temptation, and Poussin also jumped out at him. These were clearly in reference to Poussin's painting, The Arcadian Shepherds, the same piece that Saunier bought at the Louvre. Perhaps Saunier had cracked this code before his trip to Paris. This would explain why he purchased the reproductions. They held the next clues. In the painting, written on the tomb was the phrase, et in Arcadia ego. If you remember, this was also allegedly written on Marie Blanchefort's headstone, perhaps why Saunier destroyed it. But as Lincoln studied the Poussin painting further, he realized that there was more to this riddle. Marie Blanchefort was buried underground, and the inscription was on her headstone, so it still left the question of the above-ground tomb unsolved. Yet it looked remarkably similar to one on a hillside just a few miles away from Rennes-le-Chateau. Lincoln knew he would never get a look inside the real tomb, but in the painting, the lines of the image seemed to form a pentagon, the corners of which could then be connected to form a pentacle. Lincoln wasn't sure why or how, but he knew this had to be another clue, and he wasn't going to stop investigating. So, he threw more resources behind his theory. Lincoln pitched the mystery of Rennes-le-Chateau as a documentary series to the BBC. The Lost Treasure of Jerusalem aired in February of 1972, introducing the English-speaking world to the decades-old mystery. The town was again inundated with visitors. Some were just curious, others were looking for the next clue to Saunier's secret. 
Unfortunately, the whole experience has become quite a headache for the local residents, to the point that in the 1980s, the man who owned the property housing the famous tune had the grave destroyed. He was fed up with people trying to break into his property. But that didn't stop others from trying to get rich off the legend. In 1982, Lincoln published a book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. By this time, he'd gone well beyond the claims made by Desed and Plantar in The Gold of Wren. Lincoln and his co-authors looked at a variety of origins, tying the Priory of Sion documents to stories of the life of Jesus and legends of the Holy Grail. In the end, they came to one sensational conclusion. The Holy Grail was not a chalice at all. It was the womb of Mary Magdalene. They claim she was Jesus' wife and the mother of his child. After the crucifixion, they alleged that she and the child fled to France under the protection of the Knights Templar and the Priory of Sion. There, Jesus' descendants intermarried with the Merovingian bloodline. This was their explanation as to why the Priory had protected Dagobert II's infant son. He, too, was a descendant of the Messiah. Of course, there was no way to prove this unless someone, somewhere, had preserved Mary Magdalene's corpse. But Lincoln and his co-authors suspected that the secret location of Mary's body was exactly what Saunier had stumbled upon. A trail of hints and clues that, if properly decoded and followed, would shake the very core of the Catholic faith. However radical, Holy Blood, Holy Grail sparked a renewed widespread interest in the life of Jesus Christ and the secrets of the Catholic Church. In 2003, that interest was translated into the publication of Dan Brown's fictional novel, The Da Vinci Code. And while the characters in the book never visit or even mention Rennes-le-Chateau by name, Brown was clearly familiar with the myths surrounding this town. In his novel, the Grandmaster of the Priory of Sion and the man whose murder incites the story is called Jacques Saunier. After the novel's publication, the town was swarmed once again. This time, the mayor told the press, quote, It was like something out of a prison escape film. They began digging in the night. The rabid fans, treasure hunters, and conspiracy theorists had returned. While gravediggers have continued to plague the small town, to this day, nothing aside from a few skulls have been unearthed at Rennes-le-Chateau. It seems Saunier's greatest treasure left for the living has been of a great mystery and the insatiable desire to solve it. Next time, we'll explore some of the conspiracy theories surrounding Rennes-le-Chateau and the true source of Saunier's wealth. Like conspiracy theory number one, there were actual physical treasures concealed within the church that may have belonged to the Knights Templar or another ancient order. Or conspiracy theory number two, Berenger Saunier discovered a secret about Jesus and the Catholic Church, potentially blackmailing the Vatican for money or being paid off to keep it quiet. And finally, conspiracy theory number three, Berenger Saunier 
was a con artist and used an air of mystery to distract people from the fact that he made his money illegally. With barely a hundred residents, Rennes-le-Chateau sees over a hundred thousand visitors a year. But the question is, are those people really walking on gold? Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time to explore the theories surrounding Rennes-le-Chateau. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Lizzie Logan, with writing assistance by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Hey there, Carter again. Before you go, remember to check out my new ParCast limited series, Hollywood Scandals. In anticipation of the Oscars, we're unearthing some of the most sordid controversies in showbiz history. Tune in every Monday. Follow Hollywood Scandals free only on Spotify.